It is the Anfield Wrap. It's Neil Atkinson. Coming up, we've got Joe Blot uh, on new relega- regulations around tragedy chanting. That is coming. Uh, but with me right now, I've got Josh Williams, Ian Ryan and Stu Wright. After Liverpool played in Singapore, beat Leicester by four goals to nil. Uh, we're going to talk about the transfers. We're going to talk about Lavia. We're going to talk about Paul Joyce uh, saying Liverpool are up for Lavia and centre-half uh, and how we envisage the rest of the window going. All of that is to come. But we will start off with what happened in Singapore. Uh, Liverpool four, Leicester nil. It's a key question, really, Stu, um, and the question is whether or not Liverpool are good or Leicester were dreadful, because I thought from about the 20-minute mark, Leicester were absolutely appalling at football. Um, I can't work out whether or not that's because Liverpool were making them that way, whether or not Liverpool were pressuring them, whether or not, you know, Maresca clearly wants them passing out from the back, and I think there's something to remember there, there are times when you watch Liverpool in pre-season, and they're doing stuff that you're a bit like, well, you just kick it to touch. Managers have got specific requests, especially in pre-season games, as to what they want, but my God, did Leicester look bad at it. Yeah, I agree with you. They were terrible. I mean, they, I think they're just at that stage, aren't they? Where they've had to let players go. They've got to, you know, refine themselves as remake themselves as a championship team under a new manager who's trying to impose his system. And they were just easy prey for us, weren't they? You know. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't get too carried away with any of the performances uh, that we saw because I think it was really a team in the very very early stages of of, of transition that we were playing against. Um, I mean, there's a few things to be to be positive about, and you know, some some positive signs. Um, but I also think that there were, particularly early on, one or two concerning signs well, that some do, of the same yeah, when, problems. When they do all right, through first twenty, they just completely miss midfield out, and they just drop big bombs over yeah. the top of Liverpool, and then Liverpool aren't getting back in that cleverly on the cover, and that's in the first twenty when they do do all right. It's interesting and easy free running through the middle of the pitch, and by the way, he would not be my first choice if I was Maresca to do that sort of thing, and yet there he was. But he, you know, he, he showed he's got he got quick rangey stride as a third man runner, uh, sort of pushing in there. And yeah, you're right to point out that in that period of time, you know, Leicester do cause Liverpool a couple of problems with a player like McAteer, who last year was on loan at Forest Green. I think I think what we're looking at potentially could be a, a, what becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because if, if you're playing Trent in that, in that position, uh, right back, which but, but um, transitioning to centre midfield, when we're on the ball, it's neat. he's brilliant at it. He's he's great, but syst- systemically there's a problem because you know if there's a turnover when he's in midfield in their half, the first thing that the opposition going to do is is and we saw it last season and we're going to see it again now. They're going to ping it. They're going to bypass the midfield and they're going to ping it to our right, um, and that's where they got in. And Liverpool still haven't solved that problem. And 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 I know we'll talk about the transfer market later on, but I think if they are going to um, make an effort with this, you know, prolonged effort with, the, with this change of system. It's something they do have to address. It's something they have to remedy because while Canate, you know, he's a brilliant player and everything, but he's not he's not superhuman. Um, and it's the starting position of the of the fellas behind Trent. The, the back three isn't as you'd expect it to be when you're looking at him moving into that midfield. It's still pulled, you know, to the right as if there's a gaping hole. There's a slight shift across, but not enough. And I think it's it's stretching Canate. And we saw a couple of, of of occasions there where he was pulled a little bit, and you know, it was um, he was tested. And once they got past him, it was really difficult for Van Dijk on the cover. The manager talks, Josh Post, about them growing into it again. I don't know what he thinks by that. Does he think by that, for instance, some of what Stu's talking about, do you find a way to remedy? This is, again, what's up in the air with, for me, the way Leicester perform, because I, I don't know if it was the heat, the humidity, what they've been doing in pre-season, 
but I just thought by 60 they looked shot <coughs> uh, absolutely shattered by 60 uh, nothing in the legs left and I think it's beginning to happen in the first half but we know it's very humid out there it's very very hot indeed um, but the manager does say post that Liverpool did grow into it got a grip of it he says that about the previous games as well and they don't concede uh, in the first half and they haven't in any of the first halves where do you see the line on this? Leicester being not very good, Leicester being tired, Liverpool, were they giving up opportunities? Did they tighten? Did they change things? Where's the line and where all this is from your from your watching of the game? I think Leicester, for me, kind of started the first 20 minutes or so. I agree with the manager, by the way. I think the first 20 minutes or so, I thought Leicester were quite... But well, like, really, I thought they, they broke beyond us a few times. And uh, as you say, they, they kind of bypassed the midfield a little bit and, and benefited from that. Um, but I think as we grew into the game, as the kind of press... The initial press when we lost the ball kind of got a little bit more watertight. I think over time as the match grew on, I think they kind of almost got a little bit demoralised for me and I think that kind of stemmed from their like their inability to escape Liverpool's press and I think it kind of deteriorated a little, little bit from there and it gets to a point where like 70 minutes in, they just can't get out and heads are dropping, they're already 3-4 down and they just kind of want the game to win really. Um, so I think it kind of stemmed from that but overall I think Liverpool's performance was good I think Liverpool gradually grew into the game like the manager said I think it was interesting <coughs> what he touched on at the start in terms of um, like not being as watertight as, as ideal and I think a lot of that stemmed from the initial press and it not really being there and he said that before with he seems to say that when Nunes is on the pitch which I think is, is quite interesting like I think he's improving with that but the press he, he he specifically touched on improved with Gakpo on the pitch, and I think that's Gakpo's main edge over Nunes as like a leader of the press. He's kind of like he's a lot more defensive. He's a lot more when I say defensive, he's just better defensively in terms of his positioning and things like that. Isn't it my my thing on the initial press question though? And it it's just one one of the things that struck me through all the last season, even that the, the back end the last nine where Liverpool upped the results at the very least is it feels to me like up until about thirty minutes in the game. Sides can get through is a little bit easier, and I just think it's as simple as the fact that they're, they're about to be tired out. By the way, by the way, Liverpool play, but for thirty minutes they're not that tired. There's a bit more sharpness, a bit more freshness, and I. So this is where for me the growing into the game question is is a valid question in that. Are we going to be watching Liverpool side a lot this season where we're thinking, you know what, they finished the game really, really strongly, but may well give up chances in the, in the, in the early part of the game when the opposition are coming on strong because they've got the legs to do so. You know, where If you're an opposition manager, where do you put your chips? Do you think, you know what, we'll, we'll start as fast as we can because we actually think it'll take a bit of time for Liverpool to bed down? For me, that's the, that's a bit of a question going into the campaign. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an interesting one, mate. Um, I think Liverpool kind of start these games and obviously a lot, a lot of what we're doing now, it's kind of like... We start the game in a specific shape and then we, we, we adopt a new shape when we've got possession of the ball and things like that. And I think that kind of adjustment that you've got to go through, that transition that you've got to go through, I do think it takes a couple of minutes, like 10 or <coughs> 10, 15 minutes yeah. or so to get into a flow with that. And I think when you kind of get a bit more control over the game, where you're constantly attacking with this three-two-five shape, as soon as you lose the ball, you regain it and restart the next attack. I do think maybe that takes like 10 or 15 minutes to get into the flow and the rhythm of doing that and just like repeated, you know, like a machine almost. Um, so I think that could stem, that, that that could, you know, be impacting it a little bit. Like I've talked about Leicester uh, fitness. Josh says they're about to moralised. There's a lot of, and I want to be clear about this because I, I sort of agree with Stu that they just weren't very good at all. But 
there's a lot of Premier League players there. It's easy to say that they're now a championship team, but most of the players they had in the pitch there have got, McAtee actually being an example of one who is, who hasn't, but most of the players they had in the pitch there have got Premier League experience. I think someone like Jewsbury Hall is clearly a good player. Uh, I'd argue he's a, he's a significantly better player than championship level uh, and may well get a move at some point over the course of the campaign. So a lot of them were playing Premier League football for the last two years. I think the moralised point might be about right though because this is now a football team that's lost a lot of games, Ian, that, that, that Liverpool were coming up against. All of that said, you know, it could have been six or seven when you get into the second half. It's worth saying you can only beat what's in front of you and Liverpool were capable of just putting them to the sword over and over and over again even if the ball didn't end up in the back of the net. Yeah, I don't know where Leicester are in terms of their mentality because having gone down, you can imagine there's probably a few, a fair few are feeling sorry for themselves looking and staring down a battle of a championship season. And also, I think I expected a little bit more just because they've got a game next week against Coventry. So their season starts. So you're thinking, yeah, yeah. well, they should be bang at it. But then I don't know how much has gone into their legs over the last, you know, kind of week or so. So it may be a case of what they were always going to give 20 minutes, half an hour, a full pelt, and then just ease away a little bit because of what they've been doing and all that kind of stuff. And we've it's seen really it. hard to tell, isn't it? In yeah, these games, and that I, question. And I think you have to always, you know, when you're analysing pre-season games, you always feel like you've got to throw in all the caveats because you just don't quite know how they're going to pan out. And I think... If it's going really poorly, say if it went poorly for Liverpool, and Liverpool could have found themselves behind in that first 20, it's very easy to say it's pre-season, it doesn't really matter, it's all about fitness, it's all about shape, it's all about system, and just getting ready. But then when it goes well, those same people can get a bit excited, a bit giddy, and you think, fuck it, we're ready to start the season here, and all that kind of stuff. So it's always important, I think, to try and remain balanced when you look on and trying to kind of almost, yeah, analyse and talk through a pre-season game, because there's lots of different facets involved, and... As I say, teams regularly change players, don't they, at half-time. So that obviously throws in something completely different as well. But in terms of Liverpool's performance, I was a little bit concerned the first 20. But again, caveat, it's a pre-season game. But then you're right, Neil, it could have been anything Liverpool wanted it to be. I mean, there's a couple of goals there chalked off, but we just looked like we could score at will. And it almost felt like the second-half team were thinking, well, if they've banged in three, we're going to go and at least try and replicate that and bang in three ourselves. And yeah, it was pretty pleasing from an offensive point of view and I think there's lots and lots of chatter now uh, about what that front three might look like in the first game of the season and I think you can have a conversation around that and I'm sure we will as we kind of get a little bit closer to the start of the season but I almost think it'll be it'll be game dependent I think when Liverpool are picking that front three there'll be certain games that will suit certain footballers and this may well play into the manager's comments around press and stuff so if it is Chelsea away you can almost see a scenario where it is a Gakpo rather than a Nunes I'm not saying it will be that because I think Nunes offers different threats but if he is thinking about press and being a bit tighter and all that kind of stuff you can see why he may favour and may look towards Gakpo for instance they were more conventional second half Stu before we get into individual performances you know I felt it really helped Gomez uh, off previous pre-season games than being more conventionally just played like a right back I knew exactly where he was there was a little bit of shimmer cast coming narrow but it wasn't anywhere near as as, 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 as pronounced as it is when, when Trent Alexander-Arnold does it uh, and he was going on the overlap as well it's interesting to me it going a bit more like that. I'm I'm intrigued to see the way in which it looks against Bayern, where you feel like the the two sides are getting closer and closer to to the idea of playing a competitive match. And the thing with Bayern is you expect them to have a lot of the ball as well. What Liverpool do or don't do when they move in and out of the the shape they've been predominantly playing with Trent is going to be intriguing to me. And as I say, that second half was more conventional. It was, and you know when we talk about the unconventional, if you like, in the, in the first half, uh, which has become a bit more of the norm for Liverpool now, um, you know it excites me and scares me in equal measure. I, I, and I think, you know, ju just 
just to to reiterate the point that we made so far around that first 20 minutes as well, think back to last season. We talked about Liverpool start the game in one shape and then feel a way into another shape once, once they're on the ball and what have you. We talked there about potentially Leicester having more legs in the first 20 because they may well have been knackered from, from the pre-season camp, quite possible. How many times did Liverpool last season can see the goal in the first five minutes? You talk about giving teams encouragement. I'm talking about a, what could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're looking at Liverpool and you're looking at the way to attack them, the, if they are playing with that that that, that approach with Trent wandering into centre midfield, which again on underline he's brilliant at, but again he's not Superman either. If there's a turnover, he hasn't got supersonic speed to be able to get back into position, and therefore the encouragement is there. If Leicester, Leicester score one of those goals yesterday, one of those chances yesterday early on, they get encouragement, and that twenty minutes in their legs might feel might last a little bit longer. Um, and I, and I do worry about that, and so. I'm really excited about what the potential of the system could be, but I, I, I am I am concerned. So when you talk about us playing Bayern on Wednesday, Wednesday this isn't it? Yeah, I am intrigued to see what we do. I am I'm really. We're not going to have any solutions in place in terms of, from the transfer market, but I think it, it, you know Jürgen's now at the point with with only a couple of games left in pre-season. He's got to start showing his hand. He's got to start showing what, what's looking like the the chosen formation for Chelsea. Um, you know, the good thing is we know is that the, the Trent right back can, can go either way. You know, we can play in more conventional uh, style, um, or he can he can play this in, in this in this new system. He's also got the potential to go and play in centre midfield as a starting position, which looks more and more of a possibility since we haven't signed anyone yet. And if that happens, then what is a positive definitely to take, I think, out of yesterday's second half performance was the performance of, of Joe Gomez at right back. Um, I think he looked solid. Um, I think he looked more comfortable than I've seen him in ages. Um, and he looked um, you know, confident on the ball moving forward. So it, uh, a positive side, it gives, gives Liverpool a couple of options. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting, isn't it? I think in terms of what now starts to happen. I, I was coming in before and I was thinking to myself, at this moment in time, and obviously things probably will change and we'll talk about transfers and maybe incomings and stuff, but we look very much like a team who, at the minute, on our very best day, and this is all obviously based on kind of what you're seeing up to, up to this point and maybe a little bit of last season, on our very best day, with those forwards, we could probably go anywhere in the country, give or take, and, and, and do someone for three or four. And then on the flip side, we could probably go in the country and concede three or four. We just look like that kind of team at the minute. And you've got it on your agenda in terms of how the setup is now. There are real, there are there are real moments where there's a lot of players ahead of the ball, and that does concern me a little bit. Now, again, this can all be sorted, or some of it can be sorted before you'd have that first game against Chelsea. But until you see maybe some recruitment and some new faces come in. We do look like a team that can get punched on the face, I think, quite easy. And that's that's where my concern is at this moment in time. And again, it's back to it's only pre-season. It's, it, you don't want to judge them too much. But um, but yeah, there's work to be done, Neil. But I think, you know, if you want to look at the positives, it is those forward players. Liverpool look like... They've I don't, got I don't so think it's just the forward players here. I think it's the, the ability to to get it into the. I was going to say, it's almost the ability to feed them. So yeah. if you want to talk about, you know, positives from the game at the weekend, McAllister's performance was was everything you want to see from him, really, in terms of being comfortable in those type positions. His first thought is, you know, who can I find? His head's on a bit of a pivot. He's got this ability where it's so intricate, 
but he's got the he's got the skill set to be able to pick out players in really tight spaces and stuff. And I think you'll see more and more of that as he gets used to his teammates, as they get used to him. But you can imagine if you're a forward thinking player and you've got him in and around you, my God, the possibilities are endless. And you can imagine people like Nunes having a real productive season. Despite what I said before, that he might not start the first game, I still think he looks like a man now who's got his eyes on the prize a little bit. I think he has, you can almost see it already in pre-season, he has progressed a little bit. There are things he's taken on board and he's learned. And maybe there is still work to be done on the press and stuff that the manager's alluded to that, and that's fair. But I think someone like him, with a McAllister in behind, with that quick brain of his... And the movement that Nunes has got. And let's be honest, there may be one or two issues around the press, but there's no issue in terms of appetite or desire to get in behind. And I think, you know, his goal that he scored at the weekend, I was made up with because centre-forwards will get loads of goals if they're willing to put themselves in those situations and just pick up the bits and pieces. And he will get loads of bits and pieces playing off, you know, the likes of a Salah or with a Jota or with a Diaz. There'll be loads of those situations. So I think there are lots of possibilities and lots of kind of reasons to be positive about. But if you think about what's going on behind, and that's where my concerns are at the minute. Yeah, I think the uh, the defensive concerns, I think, is an interesting topic. I think, like, it's the kind of thing that is almost open to interpretation, really. And I think, depending on how you view it, people people would determine different problems as to where the original problem is, is stemming from, almost. Um, like, I think that the, the right side of the thing, for example, where we're constantly getting targeted down the trend side of the pitch, that's something that, like, even before this kind of new three-two-five shape with the ball, it's it's that's been a constant weakness for us for, like, for seasons now. Um, and I'm not sure that will change unless Trent is permanently moved away from there. And Van Dijk deteriorates a little bit more. Robertson maybe deteriorates compared to our right-sided fullback. That's just kind of our... We, and, and Salah as well has naturally got a bit more licence maybe to, to stay high in. Yeah. So I think that's always going to be our weakest point of the pitch almost. Um uh, so I think Klopp will kind of look at that and I think Klopp, see, from what I see, he, he seems to look at the, the original press, the original counter press when we lose the ball as like, that's what we need to fix, that's what we need to work and if we, if we master that, we almost never concede a counter attack and you're cutting it off at source almost, I think. Um, and I think, again, that goes back to what you just mentioned, Ian, about, about like players ahead of the ball and that. I think that's... That's another interesting talking point with this. Because for me, that's vintage Klopp, I think. Uh, over the years, I think Klopp has just been such an attacking coach and he demonstrates such a willingness to, to let players advance beyond the ball and, and penetrate the final third. And I think a few years back, Ronald Koeman called him out for it. Not called him out, praised him for it, really. In the sense that like he's one of the true attacking coaches in terms of like seven players in the final third and just, just going for it, essentially. But I think if you look at like well, how Arsenal interpret this system, how City interpret this system, it's kind of a... A safety net of five players and an attacking bank of five players. The attacking bank of five are responsible for getting the goals and regaining the ball if it's lost. And the defensive bank of five are essentially just holding the fort, really. But because Klopp kind of allows Robertson a bit more license than, than your typical fullback, than your typical left-sided centre-back in this system, and he, he's kind of joining the attack a lot of the time. And because of the nature of the football that Trent is, where you want to give him the platform <laughs> for him to be attacking as well and not just be progressing the ball. Exactly. Up, yeah. Exactly. We end up, we can be vulnerable if that initial press isn't perfect. And I think integrating some new players and things like that, getting used to this system, I don't think our attackers are quite as defensively perfect as, as Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino wearing the pomp so I think it's just something that we're working towards but that trend thing that right side thing I, I find it difficult to kind of find a way of 
how to just completely eradicate that apart aside from buying a new top right back and completely convert and strengthen to a full time centre mid. I mean, for me, the other option is, and, and you'd imagine all the talk of Colwell and various other options that you know, and that's we mentioned. And I know there's been a lot of talk about Pavard, and but for me, if you're going to buy a, a fit defender, the first priority should be a player who can play left side of centre back and left back. Um, you know, whether that's Colwell or someone else, I don't know. Um, but until we do that, and then in your starting position, if Trent's playing right back and you're playing, let's say for argument's sake, it's Colwell as a starting position left back with Canate uh, and Van Dijk in centre half, and then as soon as Trent moves into midfield, then you've got a back three, and, and I, I think that then shift sh- um, shuffles across, and then when there's a turnover, and Trent's out of position because he has to be. You know, if he's in centre midfield, then we, you know you've got that protection that you're talking about there. You've got three yeah. defenders holding the fort who are in the right starting position. And what I'm concerned about at the moment with Robertson, and again, this isn't his fault. He's just not that type of player because of the nature of the, of the type of player he is, and therefore what Klopp's allowing him to do more restricted than previously, but still, he's not completely being told to stay back. Then the starting position of the of the three uh, three remaining defenders isn't right when there's a turnover, and because of what you said before, the history behind our right hand side, yeah, that's where teams have traditionally targeted, and they're going to do that even more. So I think with the, just only the slightest bit of encouragement, which I think until we remedy this, we'll give them. What, what, where I am on it a little bit is I think that Liverpool, I think that Klopp is he's an attacking coach and he's an optimistic coach, and I think that we want that. But I think there's a little thing here where what City do when they do this, which I think is really interesting, is they'll have that first sort of three-second attempt to win the ball back really high press. And then they have a way of not necessarily winning the ball back, but stopping you from doing much with it. And then they drop. And then they begin to ratchet up the pressure of the press again. All this can take 20 seconds. They're really good, I think, at, at saying it's all right if they keep it, as long as they keep it back there whilst we're getting our shape back and our shell back in terms of... So then there's time for stones to come back in for them to have a bit more of a conventional almost 4-4-2 that they drop back into and then they go back to press again and I think that where we're going a little bit wrong it isn't at some point you will have your press beaten or at some point they will look after it well enough for at least a, a period of time but in the period of time where that's happened you've almost got to do two things at once one is make it hard for them but secondly also get you know get your defensive shape back and I don't think we get our defensive shape back as quick as we could do with no. and I think that that's a little bit something that we've I think that'll come over time. I think that's going to take a little bit of work. And then you then press back up as a team, as a new unit. It's almost like a new phase of play. But I think City only became as good as that as they became last season once they'd integrated Ake into that to, 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 to problem yeah. solve that position. Plus, also, the thing is with City, they've got the greatest get out of jail free card in the Premier League going in terms of recovery and Kyle Walker on the other side. So they've always got the potential. If they're worried about that, I know they didn't always play him towards the end of the season, but they've always got that option while they've still got him. <clears throat> I think I think it's interesting with with, with Pep the way Pep does it because obviously you've been chasing this Champions League for, for years. He finally gets it and he gets it when it coincides with like fielding like starting like six centre backs, yeah. you know, and and uh, that that bank of five that I'm talking about, the safety net bank of five, consists of players who literally just want to remain behind the ball, will give you control by regaining it play it simple and all that sort of stuff. And I think Liverpool, going back to Robertson as well, is just... Liverpool, at the minute, are trying to play a similar system, similar shape and that. But I think in terms of balance, we just haven't got that that balance perfect yet. And I think a lot of that just stems from the individuals in the system yeah. wanting to get forward. And 
this is where the left side of the centre back comes in. I think. I think it also stems from the manager, though. I think the manager is more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think the manager is more. I, I think he's it, so from foot at his best. He's so from foot. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I think if he said to Robertson, I tweeted this yesterday. I think if he said to Robertson, stay. I think he would stay. But he, I think the reason he's going couldn't agree more is because he's being given the license and it's in his nature. And I think if he was to get in a Colwell first game of the season against Chelsea, Robertson's on the bench, and we start with Colwell as our left back slash wide centre back. Colwell will just, even with the same licence, he would go less because he's just not that kind of player and he'd have a bit more balance in the team then. But I think Liverpool are still chasing that. They're still chasing the aggression from foot. Uh, Josh, you want to talk about the excellent attack and play. The patterns, Jones slash Arnold or both into McAllister, into Salah looks looks like it's a Liverpool plan. Whatever position McAllister takes up, whether it's left or right, it looks like it's a Liverpool plan there already and you can see being able to play through the phases, which by the way is something Liverpool were for the first two-thirds of last season appalling at. You can see they've come on leaps and bounds already. Yeah, I think Liverpool's first goal actually was was kind of... It was it was basically, it basically epitomised, I think, the blueprint of, of what this kind of new 3-2-5 shape offers almost in terms of Trent picking up the ball in deeper midfield spaces in the, in the middle of the pitch. One line break and pass to a lad who can actually control it and, and spin immediately, like McAllister. I think the way in which he controlled that ball and his next action is to pass it forwards. It was flawless. And then that passes in the direction of lads who are, who are rapid, threatening and behind and, and providing the penetration almost. Obviously, Jota takes the shot and then Nunes sweeps up the rebound. But the way in which that goal was scored, I think epitomised a lot of what Liverpool are trying to get towards. And I think McAllister, for me, he almost depicted shades of Firmino, I felt, in that game, in terms of, like, we've obviously lost that player who who kind of almost makes the ball stick in the final third. In the most pressurised area of the field, Firmino offered glue for us, I felt. Obviously, we've lost Firmino, and you kind of need to replace him in the aggregates almost, but I think it looks like McAllister so far is going to do a lot of heavy lifting with that in terms of just, in the most pressurised area of the field, he will just keep the ball, he will make it stick, he will link the play. There'll be no specific like stardust or anything like that. I don't think he'll be he'll have his name up in lights, but he'll be doing a really functional, efficient job. You think he's but so far from, from what I've seen, looks like a really, really efficient player for me. He McAllister was it reminded me again of what we saw bits of from Curtis Jones at the back end of last year as well, in terms yeah. of being able to look after it in that final thirty and turn and go. Jones obviously playing deeper. I think he'll start the season there for Liverpool, but what it means is that Liverpool, when you look at those seven attacking players, you know, there's there's two or three of them. And I think that Salah's role is interesting in this, who I think Liverpool are looking to look after it more. Your job is when you get it, you're going to look after it a little bit. McAllister was the was the standout in that, but I think Jones has got that as well. And then the idea that then, you know, Salah ends up with this mad number of assists over the course of the game and, and, and could have had more, where we get it over to Mo. And whilst in the past he's felt a bit like a centre-forward playing wide right, in this game, he felt a bit like a number 10 playing wide right, uh, as far as I was concerned, and was able to to see where everyone was, pick his passes, pick his moments, show again the football that he is. But it's all about getting everyone the ball early. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I think in terms of Salah, you, you can definitely see a scenario where those assist numbers go through the roof. But to be honest, he's been providing assists for a long time. Now, I think it's 
massively underappreciated just how good a footballer he is. People just look at him. I'm talking about outside the Liverpool bubble here. They just look at him as a goal scorer, but he's much more than that in terms of having yeah. the ability to bring others into play. And we've seen countless great assists over the last two or three seasons where he's just plucked balls out of nowhere and you think, fucking hell, how has he managed to do that? In terms of McAllister, um, yeah, interesting points on the, the Firmino comparison. I think what he's also bringing as well, though, he's bringing a certain level of, of mentality as well. I think you can almost see him being a little bit... I think as well as having all the creative kind of ability and flow that you can easily kind of detect already in his game, I think there'll be a little bit of snidness in there as well that Liverpool have missed. So when we're talking about things before around system and shape, and it's all really, really fair, but I think the manager is, when he's talking about some of this, I think he's talking about pressing and being responsible and reacting in the right moments and doing it in a, a sharp and quick fashion. There were far too many times last season when Liverpool... Liverpool's footballers just aren't doing the fundamentals right. And it's not necessarily about being in a certain shape or a certain system at certain times, but there were so many goals early on in the campaign when players, if they'd been a bit more switched on and just took a yellow or just took the foul, goals aren't happening. And I think there's almost something in that as well where he'll expect a lot more of them. Think back to last season, very early on, Fulham, Palace at home, Manchester United. There's goals in those games where you're thinking... There's such an easy way out of that. For, and it's midfielders who are no longer at the club or about to leave the club who are maybe responsible for some of those as well. And I think he will bring McAllister a different level. You know, you see him at the World Cup and no, we didn't face him at all. You know, even in that World Cup final where he's, he's great in terms of what he does in terms of setting up a goal. But I think there's a little there's a little bit of snidness about him. And I think there was a game against Manchester United towards the end of last season and I think it was Redknapp and Paul Ince doing the post-match stuff, and Ince was like speaking in glowing terms about him, not just as a player with the ball, but without the ball as well. He's an all-rounder. I think he's got a little bit of everything to his game. I can't wait to see him play football on a constant, consistent basis for this football club now. What's interesting is there's constant circulation and fluidity stewing amongst all of that. McAllister's a big part of that. I thought it was interesting seeing Clark just click into it quite easily. You know, you wouldn't have thought. Sometimes you get to see a younger player in a pre-season and he looks a bit like a younger player. Clark was just involved enough on a regular enough basis. Obviously, the goal helps. But McAllister's switching positions with Clark. There was a little bit of Jones switching positions with the two of them. There was at one point where Salah ends up playing left inside left and Jot has gone wide right. And I think that that's part of what all of this can offer is that sort of ability to have that fluidity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the word that, that, that sprung to mind was knit, really. I, th- I think the, the, the change of personnel... Um, it just makes it look like our midfield knits the play to the forward line better than we've done before. Traditionally, the clock midfield, you know, the older guys, they were known really as being the platform um, and the front three did their own knitting, you know what I mean? Um, supplemented by, by by Trent and Robertson, but it wasn't really coming from the midfield ranks, whereas now there's a, there's fluidity is a great word for it. There's a real... Um, um, Lovely fluidity uh, in the play from the midfield. Uh, they're all comfortable in each other's positions, but there's a deftness of touch as well and an awareness from Jones and McAllister in particular um, that if you're in that forward line at the moment, you've got to be licking your lips. You really have because the options are going to be coming from everywhere. The good thing is as well is that, you know, we know that McAllister is uh, well... Uh, well-schooled in, in the press from Brighton and Curtis has come through our ranks as well. So although they might not be, you know, as, as strong in the press, or Curtis might not be as strong in the press as, I don't know, uh, Wijnaldum in his heyday, um, 
I think the I think they're strong enough. I think they're strong enough, and I think they might just bring a, a better balance to the midfield that we've we, many of us have been crying out for for, for years, really. Um, so you know that's exciting to see. There's do some individual performances, Josh. I want to start with Jones. For me, he got everything that I want uh, from whoever's playing that that left hand side at six position next to Trent when he fills in, with the possible exception of panic. Because he's, you know, he's, he's he's come through as an attacking player, but he wins his tackles. He looks after the ball really, really nicely. He pings his passes forwards. He's big, strong, holds people off. The question is interceptions, and the question is, oh God, the building's burning down. Run backwards. There me two questions really. Everything else, as I say, as a tackler, I think he's actually phenomenal. And I think he, he manages to win it, win the ball out of it, controlled a lot of the time. I think you saw that at times last season. I think you actually see it in this forty-five as well. Uh, um. I think this is an opportunity for him. This I think we can talk a lot about. You know, we're going to we expect Lavia will end up being a Liverpool player, but I think Curtis Jones may well start the first four for Liverpool. And if he starts the first four, I suspect he might have the attitude that he thinks he's starting the fifth. Yeah, I agree with you, mate. I think um, personally that that whole like Curtis Jones as a whole midfielder, Curtis Jones as a six, I didn't overly see it. I, I, I can see it like in terms of obviously he's a physical, he's a physical lad, and he never loses the ball. As you say, looks after it really well and things like that. His ability to regain the ball has improved dramatically. Um, but he, he's still just got that kind of attacking nature that is just there. And and I think if you're looking at that box, you've got four players in the box, obviously. I think the, the holding midfield player in that box, for me, has to just naturally lean towards the defensive side of the game a little bit more. Just sense danger almost. It's, it's a bit of a cliche, in it? No, no, I'm with you. That, that, that's my, my only concern on him is solely that. I think yeah. everything else he's got, but the idea of being a pessimist to use an old character line, like for instance, I think one of the reasons why I like Gomez as a defender when he's got the balance right, because I think sometimes he can go too far that way, is when Gomez thinks the worst is about to happen and Van Dijk thinks the best is about to happen at all times. Yeah. And that's a that's a good balance. You need Trent to think the best is about to happen, but you might need whoever it is who's next to him to think the worst is about to happen. And that's my only real concern with Jones is I think there is a part of him that's still, no, we're going to play great stuff here. Yeah. But it's gone well for him for England in the summer playing in that deeper role. And as I say, you get to see the strengths when you see them. My one concern is, does he look like, oh Christ, what are we going to do? Does he have that energy? That's the key question, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think I can see us getting away with it in, in the large majority of games to be honest perhaps even Chelsea d- depending on the state that Chelsea are currently in when we played in the first game of the season which could be a good thing really um, but I think I just, as I say in terms of his attacking nature is even if he doesn't go forward you know he wants to go forward you know he wants to <laughs> occupy the finals there it's just in his nature there's nothing um, to play him as the whole midfielder you just want that player to move the needle a bit on on the defensive side of the game for you, I think. And he, he he is not naturally inclined to do that, as good as he might be at doing it. And also on top of that, I think if you play him as one of the eights, I like him in the final third, personally, because as I've just touched on with McAllister, he never loses the ball, makes the ball stick for you in the final third, which isn't a common offensive quality. You know, no, we've got no. a lot of wasteful attackers, I think, in terms of just trying things relentlessly. So we've got someone who can keep the ball. I think it offers value. And on top of that, Jones's initial counter press is has been as good as I've seen since since April, since he came into the team really. And I think McAllister can obviously do it to a high level. Sobuslay and I don't think we're going to suffer too much, but it, it'd just be a shame I think to lose that element of Jones's game if he's playing in the safety net rather than the attacking bank of five. If you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. Um. I'm excited by him in general, Stu. Uh, I think he's going to want to grab a shirt and hold it, whichever one it is. I think he'll be happy to be moved around, but I think he thinks he's getting upwards of 30 league and, and, and European starts this season. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he's he's, he's a cracking player to have, have in our squad and I think he's, um, he's a player that is 
well within his rights to think that that shirt is his. And I think, you know, we've got a, a real genuine competition for places now. You know, when you look at the, the, the forward line and the attacking midfielders, the options that we've got there, it's frightening. And Curtis Jones can... Um, can stand up to anyone. I I, I think in there. I think he's a, a, a genuinely a real asset for us. And I think I think we're going to see the best of him now as well. I think he's just he's reached that point in his career post injury, um, you know where he, he's he's come back with a vengeance in that last ten games last season. And he's gone on and, and had the summer he's had uh, with the under twenty ones. Um, and I, I just think that he's shown a, a level of of maturity in his game now and. and the managers actually used this word a lot, I think, in his interview last week, but you can see it within Curtis Jones. He's shown a lot more responsibility, I think, with the ball. Um, and I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I think it'll be very, very hard for anyone to take that shirt off him. I mean, I like Jones. Uh, I think I've always um, been, you know, a supporter of his, even when he's had maybe those those tough times, but I'd be... I'd be concerned if he's if he's going to be playing in that deep role. I think. I think he will be first game. I think he probably will be, and I I don't think that's particularly great for most in terms of we're going into the start of a season with a lad who's going to be learning on the job. And I know he's done it for England in the Euro tw- uh, in the Euro tournaments under twenty one level. It's 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 a different level completely when you're going into the Premier League season. And I think I think alarm bells will be ringing a little bit. I'm not saying we can't get away with it if that's the right word. And I think there will be times where you can get away with it because the teams are so far below you in terms of quality and we don't know what Chelsea are going to look like and that's the unknown question here. They could be a bag of rags first game of the season. There's every chance they haven't got some of their unanswered questions sorted by then. But I do think... What well, you said they've, got, about, they've got attack and talent. They've got wide players. They've got attack they and It's worth pointing that out, Chelsea. Have, and, and I think... And it's not this wouldn't be Jones's fault but but that's... It's a really tough kind of place to to kind of earn your stripes I suppose if you're going to try and learn on the job and you first get the first proper chance of doing it Stamford Bridge it could end in a bit of a a bit of a car crash it might not because he's a really, really good footballer and some of what Josh said before you know in those more attacking areas I think what he did prove towards the end of last season and it is a small sample but my god the ability to get in the box and, and, and just pop up back post and knock in something. I mean, that's something Liverpool haven't had for a while. So I think that threat that he offered going forward and just ghosting in a little bit um, was a really important one. And I think it'd be a shame to maybe suddenly you know, not have that because you're playing him in a deeper position. I do think he's a good footballer. I think he plays nice one-touch and two-touch stuff. But your point about will he go back the other way? And it's not a, I don't think it's an, an appetite or a desire thing, but just being switched on to certain scenarios. If you're not experienced in that role, you can get punched on the nose numerous times. And the ability to sniff out danger when it's materialised and unfolding, I'm not sure, understandably so, he's going to be at that level because he hasn't played that position at the very, very highest level. And I, I'd be nervous about him learning it on the job, going into a campaign when Liverpool need to be ultra serious from day one in terms of getting back to where they want to be. He's not Liverpool's answer to the number six question, is he? You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's much more home for me as a, as a number eight who can who can do a bit of both and he's just a, you know, a cracking midfielder. Um, but he's not the answer to the number six question. And uh, for, for me, I, I, I just don't see it. I, I, mean, I know you think he might might start there against Chelsea. I, I'm more... I'd be more inclined, if I was picking the team based on the players that we've got now, I'd be more inclined to be starting to stand there with Jones and McAllister and having Gomez at right-back. Maybe that's just my um, following Jürgen's small C conservatism, but I think that's probably the way I, I, I do it. Um, maybe Jones is a bit deeper alongside Trent, but I, I, I think he's a cracking player. I, I think you know I've, I've, I've just stated how good I think he is, but I just don't think he's the answer at number six. 
I, I think Jones will start there against Chelsea personally, and I think th- th- this will. Do you think go, it'll go well? Um, I think it could go well. A lot of it depends on Chelsea's do level. He's, do you think he's the answer to? No. Do you think he's but, a long-term number six? This no, is, no, this no, is the thing. No, it, it, no could, it, it could go well. So they're two very different it, questions. But, yeah, 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 but, yeah. but, but there's, yeah. a, there's also a strong chance it doesn't go well. And I, and I don't like that they're putting themselves in this position. And I'm going to come on to transfers. But there's two weeks before the season starts. There's no way Liverpool should be starting a campaign without a proper number six, in my opinion. One that you can kind of almost nearly colours to a master a little bit. And I know if it's someone like Lavi, you can't necessarily do that because of the lack of it, of experience. But he is a proper, what you would call, holding midfield player who's done it in the Premier League. Curtis has done lots of things in the Premier League and on the European stage, but he's never held a midfield in the way that we're talking about, where he's, he's being that screen and he's offering that protection. I think it's a massive gamble going into the season if that's your if that's your Curtis Jones position. Well, this goes back to like the almost the theme of the show, really, in terms of this 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 idea of balance, really. Because if you look at Liverpool's system, say go back to this three two five again. The left-sided centre-back is far more offensive than the typical left-sided centre-back in this, in this kind of system. Robertson is a lot more attack-minded than, than Nathan Aki is, and um, Ben White is for Arsenal, for example, on the opposite side. And then, you, 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 when you look at the six, Curtis Jones, again, is far more offensive than the typical than Rodri is, for example, or Thomas Partey is for Arsenal. So, again, it goes back to this. In terms of individuals, Liverpool trying to play this system. We're trying to play the system, but... We just have far more offensive players than the typical. My, well, than Man City and Arsenal do. In those, in those roles, my yeah. my left, my slightly left field thing that I'd like to see him do for the first half against Bayern is stick with the same shape, stick with the same approach, play Gomez left hand side of the three. So play Gomez where Robertson's been, yeah, and do yeah. that for this one, and yeah. have a little look at that for forty-five, and say yeah. what does that look like, and give Gomez a chance. I don't think he will do that because he's not he's not gone near it yet. He could have he could have done something like that at Southampton. He didn't. That's the one I think. I think my my thing on Jones playing there is I think. I, I, this is as much about the character as it is the footballer I think that he'll think if this is the way in which I'm going to get every single game for Liverpool I'm going to absolutely shine here and that's my my entire thing is I think that Jones will have that determination of alright I'm playing here first game so I'm, I'm I'm the man in possession and I'm going to do everything right to stay the man in possession and I'm going to listen to everything that that fella tells me to do and I'm going to do it and that's why I think it's an interesting one because I can see I can see how there's a lot of happy accidents in football. Sometimes you just do something because you, you, you're short of someone and before you know where you are, Ray Kennedy plays left mid. If you sort of see what I mean, because John Toshak doesn't move, Ray Kennedy plays left mid, and before and suddenly that's what he does for and, and wins everything there is to win. I think the happy accidents do happen in football from time to time. They're rare, and this might not be one, but I can think. I think in Curtis Jones's mind, he'll be thinking to himself, "If I'm playing, the, if I'm playing the first four in this position, I'm starting at Wolves. But, and I'm going to show it that it could happen, uh, but I'd be nervous about it. Yeah, but this is back. You, to you'll all be nervous about it all the way yeah, through. And, we'll be nervous about it for eight months. <laughs> and this is this is the point. So back to the point I made at the very start of the show. I could see Liverpool going to Chelsea and they're winning 3-0. I could see Liverpool going to Chelsea and losing 3-0. And it's it's almost that toss of a coin scenario. 6-3 ultras over here. Uh, and well, yeah, it, 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 it could be. And we not concede in the first five? <laughs> That'd be all right. And, and it could, I'd like that. It could feel... The way it looks now in terms of the makeup of the squad, it's got that feel to it to me. And that's why when we come on to recruitment in a minute, it's imperative that we need to see some movement ASAP because it will you know the manager can be as great as he wants to be and he is fabulous but it, it will come down to what you've got at your disposal and, and what, what personnel you've got and the current makeup now feels to me that it's got that feel of could go anywhere win 6-3 could go anywhere lose 3-4-0 or so yeah, I want to talk about a couple of others quickly before we go into the transfer uh, question and Joe Block comes in as well uh, first and foremost Jota bright as a button I absolutely adore him you know I love him 
I absolutely adore Jota, uh, and it's really. I think. I think this. We've we've got such a, a plethora of, of of amazing forwards to choose from now, and it's really really difficult. And I and I can see what everyone says about Nunes, that in terms of his ceiling might be the highest of them all. I I, I can see that. But in terms of if you want someone who's going to guarantee your goals, you start Jota and you play him at centre forward. And this is what I just can't get me head around. He might not offer maybe the the same level of interplay that Gakpo and Intelligence that they can offer, but he offers a press. He might not hold the ball up as well as Jota, but he also uh, as uh, as Gakpo, but he, he holds it well. He holds it better than the Nunes does, and he links the play better than Nunes does. He's more involved than Nunes does. He hasn't got the pace of Nunes. Um, but regardless of him not having pace, it doesn't seem to be a problem because the fella hasn't got height either. Got height. <laughs> no, nothing seems to be a problem to him. He scores goals, and when you, you know, I think he was much maligned last year, having come back from such a prolonged period of injury and then being played shuttled out on the left when he wasn't fit anyway. And I, I just don't think that represented his his, uh, his his true ability. And for me, I mean. I, I think he's a glorious option for us to have, whether he's starting or off the bench. But, the, you know, when he plays, I just love to see him in the middle. McConnell? Yeah, yeah, I thought he'd done I well. Like him. Yeah, I thought he'd done well. I mean, it's the first time I've really caught him, to be honest. I've not really kind of taken in much of the preseason games. I just tend to dip in and out. But that was the first time I'd, I'd watched him. And by all accounts, um, oh, the club think really highly of him. I thought he was neat and tidy, to be fair. Just on your, on your Jota points, I think, I think it's dead interesting now the way he kind of ended last season and all of a sudden just reminded everyone just of his true level but I think he's one of those players Jota the reason I like him so much is that he can have he can be having a poor game but he can still be a match winner or he can be still the first person who gets you off the mark yeah. even if he's had a poor 20 but it's bounced off him a little bit but that bits and pieces thing where I spoke about Nunes maybe just becoming more of that player where he is kind of thinking about how situations might unravel Jota's already got that in his locker he is one of the best at sniffing out opportunities and putting himself in situations where he knows or he's got a very, very good idea that the ball's going to drop. He's got he's a brilliant kind of centre forward in that sense of, and he does get, or he has been compared in the past to Fowler in terms of that element where he can just sniff out chances. I love that about him. And he's happy to take it kind of either side as well. Right foot, left foot, in the air. Very underrated. We've spoken about it before. I think he's a real threat. He might not start every game, and I'm kind of comfortable with that because I think it will be game dependent when Jürgen chooses to play. You know, which three of the five, or maybe at times you'll see Gakpo dropping into midfield because I think he's got that in his locker. By the way, where he can play a little bit deeper and knit stuff together and drive forward, and he's clever enough and cute enough to do that. But I think I think Jota, if he can keep him fit, and he's had a pre-season this time, which is really really important. If he can keep him fit, he could have one hell of a campaign. He can have a hell of a campaign, Diaz. Uh, looked bright again. Uh, I thought constantly involved, constantly driving at them. I think there was a bit of them thinking, Christ, we can't be, we can't be bothered dealing with this fella now on top of everything else. Although James Justin does come on and he's got a bit of fitness to prove himself. Uh, but Diaz, I thought, was again impressive, as was Doke. Yeah, well, they're two options. They're two interesting options for Liverpool in the sense that like both of those players, I think it different, makes them different to the rest of Liverpool's forwards because they actually... I think they are more, are more comfortable hugging the touchline and I think they want to engage in 1v1 battles and things like that. They're a little bit less about those direct penetrating runs without the ball and then putting the ball in the back of the net almost. They offer you real, real width, I think. Um, Diaz looks like he's, he's coming back from the injury just fine and he's still just as intense and all that sort of stuff. I think there's a, a bit of a question mark for me as to whether he'll start the first game of the season simply because he does have a bit of, a bit of competition in the sense of where's Gakpo going to play? 
And um, where's Jota potentially going to play if Jota's in, in line for the start? But as an option, who's going to be who's going to be able to influence things for Liverpool this season? I think Diaz is, is you know looking forward to watching him. As part of my uh, general uh, stewardess in, in a saucy way on Curtis Jones thing, it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if Liverpool play a bit more four four two than people think. Even in the early weeks of the season, I'm going to be dead interested against Bayern. I think there's a chance Liverpool are quite a regularish looking four four two. That gives them that option. It's well, I think they all give there's the, that options in there a lot. Mm. Uh, Sir like gives them that option uh, as well. Doak, Diaz, give them that option. Uh, Jota does it the game there against City last year. I wonder if whether or not we'll end up seeing is a fair bit of what looks like a pretty conventional 4-4-2 against the better sides and a bit of 3-2-5 as it is against the poorer sides when Liverpool feel as though there's the onus on them yeah. to create a lot of the time and that's part of how you shore up the middle of the park um, one way or another in there. That's where I think we'll go. It'd be really... I'd, honestly, I've, I don't think I've, I've been as eager to watch a friendly as I am the one against Bayern um, in, in years because I think that it, it'll be a proper test and we'll get to see what, what they choose to do and the way in which it works and I think there's, there's a lot of moving parts in terms of what he does. I, I think... I think... I think you're right to say that, Neil. And I, and I think you know one of the reasons I'm really excited to watch Liverpool at the moment, and I'm excited about the potential going forward, is I've probably not known us to have a squad, particularly in the front lines, that has such a, a variance of possibilities. There's so many options, and that's really, really exciting. But there's a little bit of a worry in there as well. Of of we don't know what we are. Maybe. We certainly don't know what we are yet. Some restaurants, the venue's too big. Absolutely <laughs> right. So I, I think. I'd like us. To, I'd like us to almost condense our options down to two or three, um, you know, quite quickly. Because uh, at the moment, there's just too much up in the air. Yeah. When you look at it, it is such an offensive squad. Like across the board, the centre mid, the defence, obviously the forwards. It's such an attack-minded squad. And I think, you know, we're obviously going to get onto the, the the recruitment agenda in a minute. But you know, just looking at that, and if if we're looking at the market for the remaining couple of weeks, I do think we need to start thinking a little bit more about like moving the needle on the defensive side of the game, making us a little bit better defensively and thinking about that element of the game. Because I think with the ball, we have so many options in every department of the pitch, really. Okay. Just on the Ben Doak thing, before we finish and go into recruitment, I'd like to see us commit to him in, in those Europa League games and maybe he starts the games at home and maybe you know we make some appearances away from home. But it looks like there's a player in there. He looks full of excitement. He looks full of appetite and desire to go and beat a man there's no fear at all about him and he takes his goal really well but the thing I liked about the goal again it's about where he is in the box and he gets a header and he's tiny but he's positioning himself in just a perfect way to think well if I'm here across the course of a campaign he won't play every game obviously I'm going to pick up five or six just from being around this area he looks really smart and yeah that that lack of fear at that age it's, it's one to get you excited I think Ben Dogs Europa League, uh, it is on its way, uh, is me and Joe Blot. I'm joined by Joe Blot, uh, formerly chair of SOS and now with the FSA, uh, who today has been part of a process, or has been launched today, uh, about guidelines going forward for 2023-2024 Premier League season, and a key aspect of it addresses the question of tragedy chanting. Uh, Joe, let's be clear about this. It's a really good, strong piece of work. It's been long overdue you could argue, but it's also been an extended piece of work. There's a lot of stakeholders to get together to agree this new framework. Um, are you pleased with it as it stands? I am, yeah. Really optimistic uh, for, for the future on this now. I think, I think you're right, you know, getting, us, getting all those stakeholders in the room uh, to have the conversation uh, is the first. Um, I think what I've been really pleased about though is the commitment, um, yeah. because it's been six months working on this and you know, literally meeting uh, two or three times a, uh, a month uh, to do it. 
and not one of the not one of the agencies, not one of the clubs, and obviously ourselves from a fan perspective have wavered from the from what we wanted to achieve. So yeah, I'm delighted that we've we've got this launch today. What you've got launched, it was really interesting. We did an event uh, looking back at Paris with Emma Case, and you spoke on there about there was the incident that people would have seen on social media with the Manchester United supporter uh, around the, the 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 FA Cup final, where you said the first you heard about it was when they rang you to say that this yeah. had been dealt with, and that's part of the process of this, isn't it? That's part of this, the, everything around this speeding up and it being addressed in a proper manner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, th- that that was a real telltale sign, isn't it? It's it's when you don't need to pick that phone up. It's when they're doing it themselves, and it, and, and in fact, it becomes the norm to yeah. challenge. Um, and they did that. From, you know, the the FA were brilliant in terms of doing that. It be, before the game had even started, they'd identified them. I and mean, when you think about, you know, the size of Wembley, we've, thankfully we've been there to know exactly which bar it was that he was at. Yeah. To to then identify which entrance he'd gone in, then to identify the seats. I mean, a you're supposed to be. Big brotherish, but B, you know, it's been used for the most the most appropriate way, um, and you know, long may that happen. Really, in terms of making sure that we, we that's got to stop. People may have a couple of concerns. You said that about the big brotherish way, and some people might have a few concerns around the idea that it's trying to sanitise football. That's not the aim of these guidelines, is it? No, absolutely not. Th- I mean, th- this is why we kept the focus on tragedy chanting. Um, you know the, the the notion that I've got in my head that that we use is you know we, we want to keep the passion and ditch the poison. Um, so of course we want we want chanting to go on. You know I I, I remember the Arsenal game um, this season. You know, obviously they were going hell for leather, weren't they? We desperately needed the points. The atmosphere was fantastic. Yeah. Um, there was no hint of any tragedy chanting. It was just good old banter. We were singing songs. They were singing songs. The passion was there for everyone. That's not going to stop. I you know I still want to say. Not nice things about Everton at Goodison. I'm yeah. pretty sure that they'll say not nice things about Liverpool. We could be rude about the city of Manchester. Yeah. The, Ma- the city of, of Manchester could be rude about us. Exactly, and and that's football. And that, you know, and sometimes sometimes the banter is incredibly witty um, and, and funny, and you, you know, it, it's absolutely right. But not when it's about tragedy, because it has it has real life consequences. We know, don't we, that survivors feel it. We know that family members feel it. And it's not just, obviously we're talking here a little bit about Hillsborough, but the work I've been doing for the FSA is about tragedy chances in football. So, you know, talking to people at Leeds about the impact of of what happened in Istanbul, talking to to people in Manchester about how, what it's like to receive a a chance about Munich, but then stretch it further into into the the, the AFL. And you've got Bradford, you know, fans singing about a Bradford fire disaster. You know, what, what on earth? Yeah. possesses people to say that you know I think part, a key part of that is for us all to acknowledge you know in lots of different phases of chanting Liverpool supporters in general and people can think individually I can think individually you know people we haven't always been angels nope. and it's, it's 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 an education process this yeah. as well part of what this does it isn't as simple as get people thrown out that that might happen from time to time it actually gives reasons for clubs to educate supporters on what they should or shouldn't be doing and the wider context of, for example, Hillsborough, but as you say, Bradford's also a really good example. Yeah. I mean, I mean you mentioned before about the discussion we had about Paris, you know, the, the education that went through from generation to generation. Liverpool fans saved lives in Paris, as we know, because yep. of the way that they behaved. That's the education that you get on, on the cop, effectively. So there's education that takes place in all the grounds. What we've also got to do then is just consolidate some of that. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously generations behind those who, who weren't around in 89, they weren't, certainly weren't around in 58. Yeah. Um, but if we can get that message across, if we can use the education format to get into schools that, that the Real, um, Real Truth Legacy Project is going to do, um, if we can get stewards to understand that actually some actions are inappropriate and if we can get the police to recognise that, 
that's all the education bit that really embeds and say, I shouldn't be doing this, should I? Because, um, you know, you're right, you know, we came through the 70s and 80s. I certainly did. And it wasn't nice, it was unpleasant. And, you know, can I hold hand, my hand on my heart and say I didn't participate? I genuinely don't know, but what I didn't do was challenge it. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, by, by default, I accepted it. Um, so it's got to, but, you know, now we know it's got to stop and let's, let's, let's not take everything away from football, but let's make sure that football's better. Last couple of things, the, the self-policing part is, is the key part, arguably. It's not about it being policed by anyone else. Self-policing's no. the thing that you want. You want supporters to be able to look after their own and look after their own business, and that's also a key part of the work you do with the FSA. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's leadership, isn't it? And I, I don't want a position where someone feels uncomfortable in the ground and then has to challenge someone else. Yeah. So that's why you've got to do it outside the stadium. That's why this is really important, that actually before you enter the stadium, know not to do this because we don't want people to be challenged and then feel themselves yep. put at risk. Um, but maybe there's measures we can put in on that because we've seen that with the homophobic chanting, we've seen that with race, uh, race chanting, um, that maybe we can have a confidential hotline that you can phone up during the game or after the game and say, look, this, was, this happened during that game. Um, but let's, let's do the self-policing outside but let's do the, you know, the, the, the self-supporting inside. And maybe you can nudge someone. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a, for me, Ian Byrne hit the nail on the head when he says, he said, when you go into a school and you hear, you know, a 14-year-old who's going to say to their dad at the match, dad, that's inappropriate. Yeah. That's when you've made the difference because now generations are teaching the older generations about what's, what's appropriate. There we are. There's lots of other stuff that's come through uh, today as well. It's worth checking it all out. But for years, uh, there's been a demand for there to be some action around tragedy chanting. Joe's led the way, uh, supported by many others. He will be far, far, far too modest uh, not, to, not to point that out, I'm sure. A lot of people have worked and come together on this. Uh, there's real grounds for optimism. We're back. Uh, there is an expectation Josh Fabinho goes today. Uh, it could be tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday. It's about 12 o'clock. It's just gone 1 o'clock. Um, I was about to say Lavia's gone quiet, but in the build-up to this, as we were sitting around checking our phones, uh, there was uh, something in the Times from Paul Joyce that Liverpool are going to put another bid in for Lavia. Um, a Guardiola link dropped in from nowhere, uh, which came as a bit of a surprise. Um, it seems to me as though Liverpool's order of events... I still want Liverpool to buy Lavia and buy three more afterwards. Um, I think that it will be Lavia. I think that they will be really pushing for a left-hand-sided defender, uh, centre-back slash uh, full-back. Um, and then I think they might see both incomings and outgoings and might see what the market's doing. That's my instinct at the minute. It's at least two. I'd like it to be four. Well, that'll be interesting because if if we do, if the next midfielder that we get is Lavia and that's kind of it, and after that we move towards a centre-back, that would then suggest that that Curtis Jones chat that we've just had is probably going to be in Klopp's mind a little bit more than we expect, really, in terms of him getting used in deeper midfield spaces a little bit more because we've obviously lost or losing two key presences in, in, in that department of the pitch in terms of Henderson and, and uh, Fabinho. So it looks like Jones is probably going to get used a little bit more. But just, yeah, going back to it for balance purposes, I, I, I'm very much in favour of getting Lavier in now. And in terms of a left foot to centre-half, again, I, I think it's it's... It's an increasing priority. It's a little bit less of a priority than the centre midfield, obviously, because that's our weakest area and things like that. But I do think we need we need to get that player in before the end of the summer. Um, but who it will be, she means up on the air for now. That's what I want. I want. I want four from this point, as I say. I think I can name two or slash very much profile two. Uh, I think the rest of it might be seeing who comes available. But Lavia sooner rather than later for me. If they're doing it, do it now. Yeah, I think it should be four. I... I'm not convinced it will be four, which which will disappoint me to be honest. Um, but I think it should be, and I think, you know, Lavia almost feels like 
there's so much noise now that it's it's a matter of time. But as you said, maybe just get it done now because I understand this. This you know you've got a bargain, you've got to get the right price for everyone. But we're getting very very close to the season now, and I'm sure the manager just wants players in to the point where he wants to work with them. He wants to get them up to speed and. Even if Lavia signs in the next couple of days, you can't see a scenario where he's suddenly starting at Chelsea. I think it'll be unlikely given how we know the manager likes to work. So I think, yeah, there needs to be a ramp up now. There needs to be a level of of kind of momentum that we haven't really seen other than when we've got the first two over the line pretty quickly. I think Liverpool have put themselves into a situation where when you don't do what they should have done last summer, there's obviously a number of knock-on effects. And one of the knock-on effects is you end up seeing a lot of poor performances play out in the league campaign. That doesn't end the way we wanted it to. But also, you see a scenario now where clubs know you're a little bit desperate. And we've put ourselves in that position where if Liverpool come knocking for a midfielder, the selling clubs probably thinking we could probably get a little bit more out of them here. But this is also why they should do Lavia now, because then you can say, well, we're done. Yeah. And then you can play the market a little bit and see if someone comes up who they may well want. I want them to sort of get Lavia nailed. The other thing to point out as well is this is the only period of the season where he's got guaranteed midweeks. To work with them, if you see what I mean. Like other clubs have got EFL Cup games to play. Um, uh, Villa have got the Conference League uh, two leg qualification game to play. Liverpool and the other clubs that play European football, uh, with the exception of Villa, they've actually got in this period of time. I take the point of you want them for the start of the season, but you also get to do a lot of work in this in the space between Chelsea and Bournemouth, in the space then between Bournemouth and Newcastle, in the space between Newcastle and Villa. That actually gives you some time to work with them that you don't have for the rest of the campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't disagree with that. But obviously, you know, all of this is in the context that everyone who's available now stays fit and far. And you know, there could be fires to put out at different times of the season. You know, we haven't really touched on people like because they didn't play, but people like Thiago and Bajcetic aren't going to be around for the start of the campaign. Nope. So if Liverpool pick up a knock. If suddenly Curtis Jones gets injured against Bayern Munich, well, fucking hell, things have to have, have progressed rapidly because they're in a scenario in a situation where one or two little little knocks to players and it can happen in pre-season because you're gearing up to something, then all of a sudden you are staring down a barrel of who the fuck's playing in the midfield. There's a, a scenario there, Josh has talked about left-sided centre-half, totally agree. I'd like, I would have liked to have seen one come in already, but... There's the right side as well. Now, you've talked about Joe Gomez, who may be an option there, but again, there's fitness concerns. Don't know what his level is, if I'm honest, uh, over the last kind of two years. But if we are going to see Trent maybe as an option in midfield, not doing the hybrid role, but pushing him into midfield, Liverpool do need some cover that side as well. So I'm not really seeing us linked with, with loads of options, uh, other than the one that you've mentioned, Pavard, who can do a little bit of both uh, in terms of right-back and centre-half. But... I would like to see more names as well because I think it's important that Liverpool just kind of cover themselves a little bit more in those defensive areas. And as I say, the Colwell one's been muted, obviously, he's the other side, but that seems to have kind of died a bit of a death. I just can't see a scenario where Chelsea let him go towards at the minute. I just can't. Both are centered off this weekend. Yeah, I, I've had a little eye on that, um, seeing how that unfolds, really. Lots uh, of fun, though, didn't he, as well? Yep. They, they, have, yeah, they have. We need to see how that unfolds. The, my, my thing with the, with the Pavard thing is, is he's been really, really clear to everyone at Bayern that he doesn't want to play right back. He wants to play centre half. You know, so I just don't see him solving that problem. I don't. I don't see how Liverpool are saying to him, "You're coming in to compete with Canate, and realistically, you're gonna usurp him." I think Liverpool will be saying to him, "Well, when we're playing Santa midfield, this is this is your way home. You play, you know, you play right back, or there might be some kind of hybrid in between." But I, but I just don't see it. I just I just don't see how that happens unless he, he has a big climb down over his uh, what he wants to do positionally, um, or if Bayern are that desperate to move him on and his options are really limited. So I think we'll have to see. But in terms of the numbers, 
Liverpool have got to get at least three if they want to be in a title race. That's clear. They need at least three. Uh, and it's short of three, then it's a race for top four. It's not a title race. Liverpool needs need to bring in Lavia, but they need another um, midfielder, ideally, as we've, as we've said. And they certainly need a, a left-sided um, defender. Um, anything more than that, great, a bonus. You know, if, you, if you're talking for, fantastic. They can get Who's the other midfielder? The Profile. I'm not, I'm not asking for your name. Where does he play? So you do Lavia. You I, do. Th- I think there's too. I think there's too much on Lavia as a as a young player. I think I think you've got to look at him and think as well. He wasn't able to finish games very often last season. I think there's an awful lot of onus on him. You've got Thiago there, who who is notoriously you know breaks down a lot. Brilliant player, absolute worldy, but breaks down a lot. So if you've got him and you've got Lavia, the Curtis Jones Curtis Jones options that that that's been mentioned, it's unproven. It's unproven. I think I think Liverpool needs uh, someone who can play with responsibility, who's solid as an option in in defensive midfield. Uh, you know, and they they need to have a, have a bit of everything, but they need to have some some um, defensive discipline. I don't as think they're going to buy that. They might not, but that you know, it, that. It, for me, for me, and I, I know the arguments, and I understand for me, why we it's we too much on as, Lavia. As, He's as, a young lad. As nervous men, we all sit round and say we want we want one of them. But I think I think if they're doing this much on Lavia in the context, I think the idea would have been to do Lavia and have him see see Fabinho off over the course of twelve months. I I don't think they're going to do what you'll describe. And they might not, but it, but in terms of me looking at it and going, what do we need to be in a title race? I think they need another one there. There doesn't need to be a 50, 60, 70 million pound player, but they need another option there, I think. And it depends who's available in the market, depends how the market plays out in the final few weeks. But for me, for them to be in a, for them to be in a genuine title race, for them to win the title, which is what we're all here for, then I think they need another in midfield as well as Lavia. Right, so, but, a, a but, but, I've said profile it then. So for instance, would you say Amrabat? Who, yeah, who's got great experience of finishing seventh in, in Italy? Be very happy with that. Be, <laughs> I'd be very happy Long with Amrabat just in terms, just in terms of you know he's an experienced player, he's a very solid option, he's physical, um, you know, and there's uh, you know it, it's, he's not gonna. I'm not saying that this person needs to let win. me let me inhabit the body uh, of Steve Graves uh, and uh, say he's got experience of finishing seventh. He's got experience of not winning games. So have we. We've got so, experience of not winning games. So have we. But we've also got a lot of experience of winning games. Yeah, I know. But you know, at the end of the day, you're limited by the team that you're playing in. I'm not. This is not a. You've 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 put his name. So this is my my thing as yeah, what you're profiling. But, but so, I think Liverpool need another solid, physical, experienced midfielder. Would you have him easy as an option? If you'd have said to me two years ago, I'd have said, yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm like, he might be more of a risk. But if it was coming down to the last few days of the transfer window and we didn't have anybody else other than Lavia, I'd say, yeah. Because we could do with another body in there who knows his way around the top league and is physical. I, I think they do need to do someone of that ilk. And I, I agree with you in the sense that I'm not sure they will. But your point around, you know, I'm a bastard. I'm not saying he's the answer, by the way. Obviously, come from a different league where they're not winning as many games. Gini Wijnaldum wasn't winning many games for Newcastle when Liverpool signed him. No, Andy no, Robinson no. had gone down. So no, I, I don't my, my point's more the, the, the argument of we definitely need experience is my issue. My issue is I think we need the right profile of player. That's a separate conversation, and that's where. So I'm not. I'm not going to sort of praise a level of experience if you know what I mean. I'd rather just say because the thing about what Liverpool have done brilliantly is they've worked out who's got the level to come in and whatever the experience is. Can they go up a level when they play for us? 
And that's what Liverpool have been, when they've been really good at buying, that's what they've been brilliant at buying. I'm slightly sceptical of experience in and of itself being an argument to buy a footballer, if you sort of know what no, I mean. No, I completely agree with you, yeah. That can't be the only metric, I don't think, in terms of what they're looking at. They'll be looking at more things, and I think you're right, they've got to have the ability to come in and make a step up, and that's when, when they were recruiting players of that ilk, the likes of Ewan Aldams and Robertsons and people like that, who were from lesser clubs, they obviously, they obviously, there's a little bit of a chance there in terms of you taking a bit of a risk, but they obviously thought they could step up and make that, make that next kind of, um, that next jump. I think it's a difficult one because I don't think there's a massive list out there. I do think that's, that's I do think that's a challenge. Yeah, there is an issue. Yeah. But at the same time, I do think it's, it almost feels pretty negligent for me if Liverpool are going to go and put all the chips on on young footballers to play that position. And I know there's certain lads in the squad who can do little bits and bobs, but I've said this on other shows, I don't think there's many top clubs who are just moving pieces around that much in that heart of the midfield. I think you want a bit of surety, a bit of certainty where someone's going to play more often than not. And I don't know whether whether Lavi's going to do that. He might do, and he could come in at the ground running, but he might not. And I think there's so many unanswered questions. So when Stu talks about a title challenge, sitting here right now, I think... It's really difficult to imagine Liverpool are in that conversation, to be honest. Now, seasons can unravel and, and take different routes and stuff, so you can't say it couldn't happen. But sitting here right now, it's it's hard to imagine, I think, because there's so many unanswered questions. I think if you're going to do something like... So I think Paulinho's dead interesting at this point because it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool... Would you have done him? Who's so, the four? When you talk about four, then who are you thinking of? I think I think now, I think that it's uh, someone who can play right-hand side and centre... Right-back and centre-back. And left. who can play left-back yeah, yeah. and, left, and, and centre-back. Yeah. Let, let Matip go, uh, or Shimakas or possibly both. Some combination there to, of departures. Uh, and then in there, Lavia. Who's your, who's and your then last I th- one? For me, I think it becomes either a little bit of a risk, a little bit of a fancy. That's when I've been talking about the lad from Fluminense who's dead interesting. Yeah. Uh, a midfielder. Or a midfielder. Yeah. Or, um, <clears throat> or the, yeah, basically a Swiss army knife. So someone who you think can can do your bits in all these other areas off the basis of the fact that you're recruiting to be in good nick to also then recruit again next summer, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave. I don't want to do the thing where Liverpool go, oh, we'll leave it because the right player wasn't there. What I think more is buy a player who you feel as though has got a real, who can make a step up possibly, who maybe is a little bit of a gamble, who you feel as though, but who, who's got three or four pathways into the team and not just one. The reason why I thought Paulinho was quite interesting was he's got form playing right, playing centre half. And I think if you think about where Canate is on the pitch a lot of the time, a player who profiles like Paulinho being an option possibly, not even necessarily this season, but over a period of time to get you 10-15 games a season doing that winning everything first winning his tackles his headers his interceptions which is what Paulinho's profile is that's why I thought that that might be quite interesting with Lavia because you're not necessarily blocking Lavia there because I think that the problem with someone like Amrabat is he comes in as when he goes to United if he goes to United he's United's, sec, uh, United's second youngest midfielder and their youngest deep lying midfielder if he came to us he'd be the second oldest midfielder and so would you would you not do him then though? I, 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 if I was advising Amrabat, I'd say don't go to Liverpool. That's what I. I, that's, yeah, but I, I so if you was if, if I was Klopp. Liverpool, I'd probably if I'm doing Lavia, I'd err on the side of not doing him. If I was doing Amrabat, I'd just do Amrabat. If you see right, what I mean. Yeah. The Paulinho thing might have been interesting, but obviously he's got that injury now, and that, and that's probably not going to transpire. And they were asking for insane money, so there have had to have been some kind of common ground there. I think. I think there's arguments for and against in terms of what Stu was alluding to and then what you've talked about there. One thing, though, that for me that can't be debated, Liverpool can't be coming out of this window saying we're fucking short in midfield. We're, 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 we're one light. They cannot be one light after what happened last year. They cannot go into this campaign and there can't be conversations around 
we should have done one more. We've left ourselves a little bit short. They, if anything, they've got to almost go the other way now. And I understand there's a, only a certain amount of games and a certain amount of playing time, minutes-wise. But you may have to overstock just to kind of count against that because you just simply cannot have another season where we're looking back in September and October and thinking, fucking hell, we should have done one more. That, that can't be the conversation that we're having. Who's Newcastle's sixth-choice midfielder? <laughs> what a question. <laughs> it's either Elliot Anderson or Lewis Miley. Who's yeah. Arsenal's sixth choice? It's Fabio Vieira or Moel Elneny. Who's Man United's sixth choice? Who do, they, who do Man United want the sixth choice to be? I like Colmaine, who's not got a Premier League start. Didn't we have these conversations last year? No, exactly. And this is, but this is why this is hard. And we end like, up in a scenario but where then last, but, then, we well, but if the manager was sat here, he'd say, yeah, but I've moved on the two lads who were, who were, who were older and we've gone without Chamberlain and without Keita. I agree. on. I think they should have eight. My, but part of my logic for having eight is I think it's a good year to learn a thing or two, take some risks because you've got the Europa League to give give footballers minutes. Learn, Let them learn on the job it a little bit. You can be flat out in January as well. If you, if yeah, you, no, if you, if you have got one more, you could go, well, we so let someone that, go Well, that'd be my Ben Doak plan. My Ben Doak plan would actually be Ben gets loads and loads of games first half of the season in the Cups and so on and so forth and then he disappears off 31st of January goes to play for the best club in the Championship does the rest of the season there absolutely great well done Ben you've got both minutes in your legs and time playing for Liverpool dreamy and I agree with that I my, my argument when I say this stuff and it drives me mad don't fucking clip this is that people think this is what I think I'm just saying to you this is what I think Liverpool think I think that the Jurgen Klopp thinks hang on if you look at all of our competitors, if I go, I, and he's, he's tended to have eight, and I think he will end up with eight, and I want him to end up with eight. But I think they think at times, I think, and this is back to the optimism and pessimism points, your position and all of your positions are thinking quite pessimistically. Jurgen Klopp does football in quite an optimistic way. And I think that they think, hang on, I, I want to make sure that, for instance, uh, Bajetic is getting himself 15 games this season. But if I bring Amrabat in, that's definitely not happening. I think he thinks, I want to make sure Harvey Elliott's getting games this season. But if I bring in this lad Neil's describing, that might not happen. And so on see, and so forth. See, for, for me, Amrabat would just be Fabinho, though. Uh, Amrabat would be like Fabinho two years ago, for me. Because um, I don't think the plan personally will have been to lose Fabinho I think Lavi was probably going to come in anyway as potentially a Henderson replacement not not positionally but as like a player to, to add to the deep line midfield um, so I think getting someone like Anvabat in for me he, he would address the void which for me is a short term one for a relatively reasonable price considering he's got one year left on his contract I see the arguments my thing is though in my head you were selling for Fabinho next summer but, if you see what I mean so that's yeah. all you've done is the thing that you were going to do you've just done a year earlier in my head by the end of the season Lavia's starting it someone like Lavia is starting ahead of someone like Fabinho you've done it because Fabinho was, was done Yeah. so I, th I think even by January Lavia was starting ahead of Fabinho if you see in my mind yeah. when I envisage the season so I think if you bring Amrabat in and, and this is back to the terms on which you bring a footballer in because the manager loves to play fair seemingly he'll be saying yeah but the plan is that the young lad's playing ahead of you that's happening soon mm. yeah sometimes well, it's about sorry Stu I was going to say so sometimes, sometimes it's about lying to your footballers but the well, yeah, doesn't seem to do that but sometimes <laughs> it's about it's about makeup and balance isn't it so I think where last season we had all those names but we all knew the track record of them that's what made us nervous like City have probably got less than that in terms of lads to call on I don't know what their numbers were last season but it feels like they're operating on a what, are they, what, what did they have midfield so maybe six. basically Rod Rodri played every game exactly. bar, bar three or four Always played. 
Uh, and then the next, and then it was two, effectively two from uh, De Bruyne, Silva, uh, Bernardo Silva, and uh, Gundogan played. Yeah. And that tends to be the makeup of the midfield three. Phillips only got two league or European starts over the course of the campaign. And then they had players like who you could dip in and out, and they didn't do that much in centre mid, but lads like Foden, Rico Lewis, and Stones yeah. dipped in and out around there. Uh, that's, as it that's, went. that's what I mean. So I, I'm watching them throughout the course of the season. And I know that the same lads are pretty much starting because the fitness records back up the fact that they're probably going to start most games. Now, obviously, you can get a curveball. We all know that. But you always kind of knew that it was probably three from maybe four or five. I think it's different with Liverpool because there's so many more unanswered questions. And we've already touched on the fact that by Chessis, he can almost he's almost one of them where he's a bit of a bonus for me because he's such a young lad, he's 18, so Liverpool should not be counting on him to be starting that many games. Now, he might have a season but he starts loads of games because he just progresses and shoots through in a, in a style that you know, maybe don't see coming. But we know Thiago's going to miss loads, so you're already talking there maybe two less than what you think he might have. Certainly in Thiago's case, one less because he just missed a lot of football. And I don't think we've got the necessary cover in those defensive areas. So I think that's where I'm thinking they might just need one more, even though you might feel like you're a bit overstocked but because of those unanswered questions and because of the lack of certainty in the deep-lying areas, that's what makes so me nervous. I think that, and you think that. I don't think there's a guarantee Jurgen Klopp thinks that. He might not. Well, see this this talk of being overstocked. I don't think I don't think we are, and I don't think we would be. You know, when you mentioned Neil, oh, sorry, about, me from his position, by the way, not from our, not from our. Yeah, thinking. yeah. And, and when Neil, when you were you were talking there, you were saying who's the sixth midfielder, fixed sixth choice midfielder from Newcastle, whatever. And you're he's good, like, by the way, Alex Anderson. He'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll play. Um, this season. He's a good player. You he'll might play. get. You know, you'd like us to get to eight, but you don't know if we will. That's grouping all the midfielders together as one and they're very different positions you know Fabinho is a very different player than Soboslai these are very very different footballers and so when you mentioned before about um, you know the, the sixth and what I can tell you is for Arsenal I can tell you who their number one defensive midfielder is but I can also tell you who's the number two I can tell you for, New, for Manchester City I can tell you who their number one defensive midfielder is and Rodri I can tell you who's the number two in Kovacic well, Liverpool. Christ, I like that. Now, you now you're looking at Liverpool and you're going, well, your number one's going to be Lavia, who's a who's a kid who couldn't couldn't yep. fit, brilliant potential, but wasn't finishing games last season. Who's your number two? Another kid, Bajetic, Thiago, who you can't rely on, who's brilliant, but you can't rely. So, who's your number two? And this is why Liverpool. If you Liverpool want to be in a title race, Liverpool needs another top draw, certainly experienced, good option at number six because Liverpool have just sold Jordan Henderson who was their second choice number six and their first choice in Fabinho anybody else that's on the on the, the road to Liverpool whether it be Trent, Curtis these are all unproven these are all unproven in that in that position but, so he's, but, they've, but title, they've looked around but they've looked around and this is the thing and this is where the reality th- points bites here and we will have to sort of end this but the reality point is that Liverpool have got an, an amount of money whatever that is to go and buy someone who plays holding midfield they're not spending it on Amrabat they're spending it on Lavia and they might have more money than that, and they might choose to do something or not choose to do something. My point is, it's so Liverpool. is it a budget issue? No, I think I think I think everything at some point becomes a budget issue somewhere. But I think for for, for all football clubs, given uh, the the reality of the rules as it is, because for instance, Newcastle needs a desperate for a centre half, but they've got all the money in the world, but they've got huge FFP concerns. My thing for Liverpool is they've chose that. Let's not act as though they are obliged to do Lavia. They are make the people who run Liverpool's transfers are making a decision to do Lavia. This is where I do get frustrated with people. If you don't like them not signing, for instance, a nailed on, he's definitely going to play number six for Liverpool and he's got loads of experience. That's a choice. 
It's Jurgen Klopp's choice with George Schmadke. They've made that choice and other people around them. And that's what I'm saying here. But it's, it's not, for me, it's not a massive choice. For me, it's the need to. And I think the club know they need to. I desperately want them to get Lavia. I think his potential is huge. He's got such a high ceiling. But they're not but they prioritising the other one, the one that you want with experience. They're not yes. prioritising that one, they're prioritising Lavia. Yes, because they're only doing yeah. one at a time. But, the, but, but they might they might get onto that, but yeah, yeah. Some things could go wrong. But is it, is it a thing then, potentially? No, I, I think everything... That, that they can only spend so much. I and think everything's been saved up for this amount of time where you think that shouldn't really be a factor now I know your point around you've still got to have an eye on FFP but they haven't spent a lot of money over the course of the last three or four weeks so if ever there's a time to go a little bit bigger and a bit bolder I want, I'm going to say again I want them to do four from this point I don't think there's many defensive midfielders if they like and I think that's another I agree. thing I agree yeah they might go with Chiram and try and convert him see that's that, I'm uncomfortable with that because even that is like Talking about some proven things, I agree. Yeah, he's unproven. Yeah, yeah. For me, you More need a specialist. For me, you need a specialist. Yeah, you need a specialist. I think, but I don't think there's one they like. I agree. I agree. But that, that's why, <laughs> out of all of them, I would throw. I don't even want Liverpool to sign him. But, 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 I know, I know, I know they'll they end up back at Amrabat. I know why. I understand why. I understand. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, I just don't think Liverpool want to do it. Yeah, if, if Amrabat was going to cost more. I would be against that, and I think that's why Polina, I think, is a little bit off the table. Could follow my chat on like sixty million in that. But I think on your is it a budget thing? Liverpool could have spent the last six months caught in Amrabat. Could now be going to Amrabat. Could sign Amrabat possibly for twenty five million. Possibly whack him on a relatively low wage, although that might be a bit, a bit touch and go because United are interested. Liverpool could do Amrabat. Twenty five million. Liverpool wanted. To, yeah, he's Get only got in. one year left. Get him in. He's only got one year <laughs> left. That's, that's my point. That's my point. The void that we've got. In my, my my opinion is a really short term void. In terms of like, we need a, an established six to come in because the sixes we've already got are either not ready, learning on the job, or too young. So we need someone to come in now, I think, to do elements of what Fabinho was going to do for the next year or maybe two, and then just kind of get off a little bit. And I think the the market's limited, but Amrabat is an option, I think, to, to do that moved. for you. Still hasn't moved Caicedo, so it, that's where it, it might be a budget point where they're going for Lavia. Who I, I think, think it'd be a budget player. point with Caicedo. Well, like, yeah. but, but, but should it be? Is my point. Should it be a budget point when Liverpool have, have you no know, allegedly been saving up for, for Jude Bellingham for a number of years, and all of a sudden we're back to it might be a budget I, thing again. I'm intrigued. Be I'm intrigued with Caicedo. I don't think that's necessarily been a budget point to this point. I think what's interesting is it felt as though Chelsea had him wrapped up, and that's football clubs do this thing exactly. So I wonder. I wonder whether or not Caicedo might actually come into the reckoning a little bit somewhere from a Liverpool point of view because Brighton are clearly are clearly allowed without him. I think there might be something else on that as well, which I think that Brighton might just be deciding to be absolutely unbelievably hard faced because of the way in which he treated them in the past, and, the and they might also thing. be trying to do a Colwell diddle as yeah. well. Yeah. I think, but I think I, I think trying to say any of it's all just one thing in any direction is is dead interesting, and I think it's limited in that I think that there's loads going on. Here, but one of the things that's going on is they don't like any number sixes. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely believe that that's probably true to be honest. But, but just in a bit of a position where we, we kind of need one. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not. And seasons have gone by. We've been stung a little bit from taking this risk, especially yep. last season. And you know that season with the centre half, we viewed Fabinho as a fourth centre half option. And, it kind of bitters a little bit. Yeah, I'm. I'm genuinely. My, my. My. This is not what I think. I'm. No, I'm, no, I'm yeah, happy I to be belt and braces. Yeah. I'm just saying that I think that this is what Liverpool think. And and I, as I say, I think if Jurgen Klopp wanted to buy a guaranteed 25 year old with tons of experience, number six was absolutely 100 percent and knew who he wanted. He'd be coming through the door before Lavia. He'd be coming through the door before Lavia, and he's not. He's gone for Lavia, and that's 
that is a story. Uh, Probably signed by now. Uh, have you been here long enough? Ash, Ash, wants to, Ash wants us to do two and a half hour podcasts. Uh, we're having a good go. Uh, it's been the Anfield app. It's been a belter. Um, yes, do remember that, you know, me especially, I'm playing devil's advocate. Uh, I want Liverpool to sign for, not least because it means more people subscribe to the Anfield app uh, because everyone wants buy the lad from Brazil because no one's seen him play and we can get loads of people on uh, and then people might choose to subscribe. So that'd be great uh, who have seen him play. That'd suit me down to the ground. Uh, but uh, do subscribe if you get the opportunity to do so. You can do it through the app or uh, the Anfieldrap.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, Ash O'Rourke has produced brilliantly, manfully. He hasn't even got any water on his desk. Uh, might be fading away. Oh, yes, he's got a full bottle. He had a, yeah, yeah, he had, he had four liters when it started. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much to Josh, to Stu, to Ian. Uh, we've enjoyed this one. 